about them Irish. I can't take it anymore. I need a national championship. This is the Four Horsemen Podcast. Up of the morning, afternoon, or evening to you. I'm Dylan, joined by two clowns as always, Steve and P-Wagon. And we're finally here. The long-awaited, long-talked-about depth chart projection for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish is complete. My OCD brain that's been working on this for months has put it all together based on things that we've read, we've seen from the spring game, what we've heard, and uh, gut instincts. And on top of that, it's really pretty. So you guys are going to see this on Twitter. Um, that will come up with the podcast, so you can take a look for yourselves. But before we get into that, we got to talk about some news that happened since the last time we recorded. Ideally, this is about 10 to 15 minutes, so we'll we'll be succinct with it because we're known for our succinctness. Um, Steve, I'm going to you. Transfers. Kane Madden. What are your thoughts there? Um, yeah, I, I'll, I will welcome an all American onto our offensive line, especially after we just sent, was it three or four offensive linemen to the NFL draft, um, or the NFL in general, I think we had an undrafted free agent, but, uh, yeah, regardless, anytime that you lose four uh, starting offensive linemen, if you can replace one of them with a second team all American, yeah, that, you know, it was a shortened, weird COVID season and yeah, he's from a, a mid major program. I don't give a crap. Uh, he's obviously proved himself to have some sort of worth. He had some sort of draft stock last year. And the presumption is, especially being with the offensive line in Notre Dame, where we know we can develop quite well, that this guy is going to get better, he's going to perform well, and he's going to be a staple of the offense uh, for this year. And and if if he's a one and done, totally fine with me. So uh, welcome to the team, buddy, and, and let's go win a title. So that's my thoughts. So for for those of you who, who may have not followed this very closely, uh, Kane, Man, Kane Madden is a right guard from Marshall. And last season, in the season, not a preseason All-American, he was a 2020 second-team All-American guard. Um, he's in his sixth season. This is his last one, so he went to the transfer portal. He didn't go to the draft, and some people think that is a sign that he's not that good. I disagree. I think he could not have gone to the draft for many reasons, including money, right? Getting drafted in the seventh round and getting drafted in the third round is millions. So, you know, don't use that to judge against him. But he's this high-profile guard. Um, he was ranked near the top of the transfer portal on 24-7 and on The Athletic. Um, he was Bound for Florida State. Florida State was all over him. Their their team on 24-7 put picks in for him. The fans were going nuts for him because Florida State has an abysmal offensive line. They did just take Dylan Gibbons, our own backup guard, in the portal. So they're looking for Kane Madden. Basically, Notre Dame makes this public pretty late. He visits Tallahassee, leaves, nothing happens. He arrives at Notre Dame, and within a day, he's committed to the Irish. Notre Dame's Notre Dame, and he's an offensive lineman. That's pretty much the story here. P, you're kind of a guru of, I don't know, unathletic white guys, so like linemen. <laughs> Rugby players, but yes. Rugby players. What, what's your thoughts on, on this addition to what is a talented but very inexperienced 
offensive line at Notre Dame. Well, that's what it is. It's the inexperience is what's going to kill us. It's you know the Rattro Spindler and um, Blake Fisher. Blake Fisher is probably going to start a left tackle, and you can't rely on youth against some of those better teams. Uh, Wisconsin, speaking of unathletic white guys, uh, those are definitely going to eat up the offensive line if you have youth there. Kane Madden started in college football. Fun fact for the new listeners out there, we're 31 people away from 1,000, so subscribe and follow. Uh, I played college football, Division three, But the difference from high school to college, the speed is so much quicker. I had one scrimmage. I played five plays um, against a Division one team. And that defensive tackle moved at 17 million miles an hour, and I had no fucking idea what to do. I cup-blocked him three times. He kicked me in the face once. So to think that Division One linemen can go up against Division One talent right away is stupid. You need people who understand the game, who understand big pressure situations. Now, Marshall not exactly playing for a national championship or anything, but he's been there. He's been there for five years. He has talent that he can pass down to these other guys. It's a much needed addition. And anyone says, oh, well, he only played on Marshall and he sucked. Blah, 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 blah. Fuck you. Hmm. So in relation to this, we had a, a little bit of an interaction with um, Coach Brian Driscoll at the Irish Breakdown. Uh, and I think we all have different opinions on him. I, I like his content. I, I have no problem with him. Um, but he didn't think Kane, Mad- Kane Madden was very good. He evaluated him. By the way, he only sent us one game film, and I told him, you need to send more than one game film or else that's not a good analysis. Um, so I don't know how much film he's looked at, but he doesn't like Kane Madden. And we got into a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a, a tango. Tete. Because I don't like to defer to authority, but... When the Notre Dame coaching staff, the writers at The Athletic, the writers at 24-7, the voters in the Associated Press All-American selection, and on top of that, the statisticians at PFF all are in huge agreement that Kane Madden is a huge talent. I just think that there's more weight to that evidence than, than just Brian's analysis because people get it wrong. Nobody is right all the time. And it's possible Brian's completely right and all those other people are wrong. It's just there's a strength in number here from a lot of experts that get paid a lot of money to do these things. And on the balance there, I just I just trust those guys more. And that's not to say Brian's bad at what he does. I just think on this one, uh, he might be looking for something that other people don't value as much. Or maybe he's uh, he's got some preferences to certain players already on the roster. I don't know what it is. We ha- we had a little bit of a discussion that kind of got wild. Um, I'm in favor of this. I think you guys are both in favor of this move. At the very least, you're adding a starting caliber ta- like guard to this lineup. And as we're going to see in the in the depth chart, we're, we're talented there. I like Andrew Kristovic. I like Carroll. I just we're trying to compete for a national championship and I don't want to run four newcomers on the offensive line. If we can, if we can add a guy, I'll, I'll do that. So you guys have so, any thoughts there? Yeah. Two things. You forgot big game boomer. He ran Kane Madden in his top 25. So, uh, put some that respect on his name. And <laughs> the second thing is we're the only fan base in the entire country that gets mad when people want to come to Notre Dame. 
So yeah. Notre Dame fans are the worst. All, every single one of them. Oh, well, why, why didn't he go to the draft? Maybe he wanted more money. Maybe he wanted more game film. They Don't get mad. Clemson doesn't get mad when people come to their school. Bama fans don't get mad when they get a transfer in. Why is Notre Dame this ivory tower bullshit that yep. everyone thinks, oh, you have to come here out of high school? We're not in 1970-something. Arab Parsesian doesn't accept walk-ons. We get it. You learn all your knowledge from Rudy, and then you stop. It's almost like this whole fucking fan base stopped watching football in 1993 and forgot that we have to adapt. Aloe Gilman, ever heard of him? He transferred from Navy. It, it doesn't make sense. Right, and it's the idea that you're stunting development, but... I don't think I don't think any Alabama fans were crying when that five-star linebacker of Tennessee, yes, Tennessee came to their program, and they're saying, "Well, hold on, you're going to stunt the development it's, of all it's these players." Ridiculous. I, and I don't care who gets mad at me for saying that. Notre Dame fans yeah. throw off. I know for a fact that LSU fans unequivocally regret taking Joe Burrow as a transfer. I mean. That was probably one. <laughs> that was one of the worst transfers of all time. It did not work the out for the, of the Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, their QB right now, like the LSU. I I'm sure that they would have preferred to lose that national championship or not even have made it at, in order to have their you know backup four star you know. So, true sophomore quarterback get a couple of more years to develop and and potentially put up some some you know lifetime stats at LSU in, in in favor of the national title that would have been the better move for them personally in my opinion so I could definitely see how people would would be uh, you know cognizant or or not cognizant is not not the right word uh, apprehensive in regards to taking. Uh, all American transfers, uh, it, it just apparently it's not going to work out. So I think there's, you know, there's, there's some good logic to it. I think at the end of the day, it's two things, right? It's one, we need more experience and could use it on the offensive line because we're trying to compete now. And two, most people who evaluate this kid say he's an amazing talent. That's the end of the story. You take him, let's move on. But speaking of strange decision-making, um, a Caleb Evans defensive back out of Tulsa stinks chooses Missouri over Notre Dame, Texas, his home state and Georgia. And the reason for that we were given at the time was that his coach at, uh, Tulsa had moved to Missouri. And so he's a coach there at Missouri. They have that connection. But afterwards we find out that Missouri offers his teammate at Tulsa and he committed to Missouri as well. So the two of them are going to Missouri and that seems to be why he's not, playing for the Irish this year. Do you guys have any kind of thoughts on this? Because it really seemed like we were going to win this one up until the last few days. Um, looking at their schedule right now, they are going to go four and eight, and they are going to win one conference game, and that's against Vanderbilt. And, and they, they play and Southeast Missouri State at some point. Yes, they they play Southeast Missouri State, so they're gonna. That's one win. They're also gonna win against Central Michigan. They're gonna win against North Texas, and then they're gonna win against Vanderbilt. Not because the coach is bad, because we obviously love the the, the coach over at Vanderbilt. It's just he hasn't had an opportunity to bring in his guys yet. Uh, so yeah, they're gonna go four and eight with one conference victory. And congratulations, you're a loser. Yeah, it just it's not a game time issue because he was gonna start at Notre Dame anyway. So it's it's about 
the comfort and loyalty to a coach and the comfort and loyalty to a teammate, which is fair enough. But if your goal is to get to the NFL and to compete, which is the goal for grad transfers, Notre Dame was clearly the best option. And by all accounts, he had a great visit. It wasn't an issue of fit. It was just, I think he was loyal to his coach and loyal to his friend. And I wish him the best, but it's a strange decision from the outside looking in. I don't wish him the best. You're either with us or against us. <laughs> I, I will not comment on any player who doesn't play for Notre Dame. The SEC is a great institution and it has very high academic standards. Did you mean to say corrupt or great? I said what I said. I believe that's his 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 past sentence, like his his key sentence when he's being taken hostage to let you know he's he's got a gun to his head. That was it. All right, I'll speak for you. Corrupt. <laughs> okay, last one. Jay Brunell, wide receiver, leaves. I had him at the bottom of the depth chart beforehand. Who? It does leave us with a problem um, with uh, with no receivers from that 2019 class at Notre Dame. So we got a bunch of seniors and a bunch of freshmen. People are blaming Dell Alexander. People are blaming Coach Kelly. I understand the problem of not getting talent in early. We talked about that with Jordan Johnson. But again, if anything, this opens up time and space for Lorenzo Styles and Deion Colsey and Jaden Thomas. I I wish Jay the best. I, I truly do. Um, it is what it is, right? I'm not, I'm not too concerned about it. Uh, I'm going to just... Everything you just said, I'm in 200% agreement, and I have nothing else to add. Perfect. I promised 10 to 15 minutes, and we have blown past that. So let's try to speed it up a bit. Playoff proposal. For those of you who are living under a rock, the NCAA committee that Jack Schwarbeck is a part of, the athletic director at Notre Dame, uh, has put a proposal forward for a playoff expansion, which would include 12 teams, six of the highest ranked conference champions are guaranteed spots. And then the sixth highest other teams are guaranteed spots. And the controversy around this is that four teams will get a buy. And those four teams will be the four highest ranked conference champions, which means Notre Dame will not be eligible for a buy. Two things we want to talk about on the subject. One, as fans of this sport, I, all three of us are in agreement here. We do not like a huge expansion we like four six potentially eight however from a notre dame perspective 12 is a slam dunk victory we are going to be in the playoff pretty much every year now um with that said what are your guys's thoughts on this proposal the buy the number how it affects notre dame etc it guaranteed independence forever but notre dame needs to be in the acc no they don't not anymore. Not anymore. Like this 12 team proposal guarantees Notre Dame is going to A, be independent, B, play a stronger schedule, and C, hopefully get some of these teams from uh, scheduling school of the deaf to play against them. Yeah, no I offense mean, to Gallaudet, but it's one of those things where everyone's all up in arms. Oh, they don't get a bye week. I don't give a shit if they don't have a bye week. They can be AP number one and be the fifth seed playing some. 12 team, yeah, yeah, the coastal Carolina. Ooh, ooh, I'm so scared of the Chancellors. So it, it doesn't matter. Let Notre Dame be the five seed, but the number one team in the country. Let us get a game at home in South Bend. Have a team from California, have a team from the SEC come up to South Bend in friggin' December. Good luck with that. There's a reason USC didn't want to play in December. That's my Steve? yeah, um. 
I, I mean, the the number twelve team in in twenty nineteen was Notre Dame at eleven and two. Uh, the number eleven team was ten and four Wisconsin. So I mean, you're basically looking at ten wins and in. Um, yeah. Is pro- I mean, majority of the years that Notre Dame gets ten wins, they're in the playoffs. Um, I think we are good enough to get past the first round in probably 80% of the years that we do make it in, right? So that means we're at least playing in the final. Uh, how, how do we number that out? Because right, it'll be the quarterfinals. Yeah, so we're we're making it to the quarterfinal out of the next 10 years. Like eight of them is is pretty yeah. much, or or maybe seven seven of them is so. It's cool in that aspect. So, yeah, we are going to have a lot more exposure and a lot more access to the playoffs, even if we have a less than stellar team. Uh, Obviously, last year, last couple of years, we've been stellar. Um, So it does allow us before this, a loss ended the season. It ended all hope. Yeah. Eleven and one Notre Dame. Well, maybe. 11-1 Eleven and one Notre Dame was typically the five or six seed. I mean, depending on some things that would shake out, sometimes we snuck into the four, as we've seen a few times over the last years. But by and large, every single game was a must-win. This takes a little bit of pressure off, and I think is going to let the guys buzz around and have a little bit more fun. And this is why I told Independence needs to go, folks. Um, that that's not going to be an issue much longer because the playoff was going to expand. And as soon as it expands, like P said, it guarantees independence forever. They may think this is a strong arm move to push Notre Dame into a conference, but we will gladly trade a first round buy for our independence, our scheduling flexibility, one less game on the schedule, plus a home field playoff game. It does make everything harder. It's going to be harder to win a national championship. But on the flip side, because of the four by conference champion rule, in the second round, we might get an easier game, right? There's not many good conferences in this sport. There's the SEC. Big there team. is the ACC winner, which is Clemson, which, you know, we'll see how long they're at the top of college football for. And then there's Ohio State. So you have three really good programs in conferences. That fourth conference team is going to be Oklahoma or Oregon. And if we're the five seed, that's who we're going to play in the second round if we win our, our first round game. I, I like that. That puts us back into the semifinal. You know, it still makes things harder. You just have to win two games to get back to where you were. But the opportunity is there. And I'm warming up to this format. I like I my issue has been there's never been more than six good teams in a season anyway. But this is going to be more fun games. I a lot of the bowl games are meaningless. So this kind of puts a little more meaning in college football. I am concerned with the season going too long. Um, but 17 are gonna, games. They're going to figure it out, right? They're, they're they're on top of that. So this is very good for Notre Dame. The buy, losing the buy sucks, and I wish Jack would fight harder for it. I think if we go 12-0 and and we're in the top four, we deserve it. Likewise, if Georgia, who finishes second in the SEC, but is the third-ranked team in the country, they deserve a buy as well. I don't think this just impacts Notre Dame. I think this impacts all good teams in good conferences. But is what it is. 12 is going to help us overall, and... Um, I'm looking forward to playing in the playoff and hopefully getting a home game in South Bend. And it also gives us the opportunity of playing Michigan or USC. Michigan the will never, they'll never make the playoff. The poverty schools over there. 
Neither they'll never make the playoff. As long as I live, you'll never see USC in the playoff. You'll never see Michigan in the playoff. They suck, and we all know that. How fun would it be if we played like our big rival in the playoff? Oh, that would be the best. Sidebar, sidebar. Are are we going to completely ignore the fact that Michigan is deserving of the death penalty as a school? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we're allowed to talk are, are, about it. But are we going to well, go there right now? Or are we going to save this for let, later? Let's save let's that save before let's we get canceled. It. I've said a lot of cancelable things this podcast. I thought that it's a canceled thing because obviously we'd be taking the side of victims. You know, that's not an issue. Um, it's just that we need to get to the depth chart here, and we could talk about okay their hero Bo's unbelievable right. actions. Fishigan. But yeah, Muck Fishigan is the end of it. Um, okay. That's it for proposal. Um, as far as recruitment goes, I just want to let you guys know that in June and July, a lot of recruits are announcing their picks. As you guys know, who have been following, Notre Dame has had uh, so many kids on campus from the 2022 and 2023 classes. It's looking good. Our friend, uh, our, our our linebacker from California, Junior to El Halamaka. Uh, it's, I, I'm getting better, but it's it's still a work in progress. He's announcing Saturday. So that'll be the day after this is up. Um, Jalen Sneed is probably going to announce soon. You'd think Billy Shroff might as well. There's just a lot of really talented kids out there um, who are announcing soon. So keep an eye on for that. And uh, things are going well for Notre Dame. And that's that's pretty much the gist of it. So without further ado, this long process is over. We have the depth chart. This has been basically, I'll tell you the methodology here, folks. It's what we had last season, plus what we've seen in the blue and gold game, plus what we've read from insiders, um, plus our own talent evaluations and our own, our own guesses. Um, this isn't the depth chart we want. This is just what we think is going to happen, and we expect it to change as more things come in. We do give a little bit of deference to seniority over you know, freshmen, for example, in the lower spots. But as you'll see, I think this is pretty solid. I keep looking at it, and I don't think it could be more accurate at this point in time. So, Steve, I'm going to let you go first because quarterback's the most important position out there. You're the most important person in my life. Um, <laughs> let, let's start this off. How do you like the quarterback group? And uh, do you want to just list the order we have them in for the audience? Yeah, certainly. Just starting, uh, obviously, with the starter, working our way down. Um, you know, Jack Cohn, you expect, you know, what is he a fifth or sixth year season? A senior because there's the COVID year. I know he missed a year to injury. So is he five or six years in? I think he's five, but he doesn't have eligibility because the injury occurred the same year as the COVID year and you only get one. You don't get okay. both. Okay. So he's a fifth year senior. He was a three-star uh, guy out of New York, Long Island. I'm, I'm pretty certain. Playing and lacrosse with Mrs. Wagon's uh, cousin. So very important to me. Continue. Very, extraordinarily important. And, and Cohen had a pretty darn good career over at uh, Wisconsin, which is, you know, not, that they are absolutely a run first offense. And uh, he's been very efficient. He's had good stats. He's had, in some cases, you can look at his stats and he was uh, either more efficient or equally as efficient as Ian Book. So is he going to be a game breaker? Is he going to be a DJ ukulele or, uh, you know, a, a Joe Burrow? I'm, you know, I'm never gonna get his name correct. I, I know how to say. It. I'm just. Well, Yungalele. I think no, that was close. It's ukulele. 
<laughs> I'm going to be a dickhead for the rest of my life. I might as well embrace it. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, he's not going to be a game breaker. He's not a five-star guy, but he is. He steps up with experience, with good statistics behind uh, an offensive line that's massively talented, just unproven. So you got to expect that Cohen is really going to break out, and and, and he's obviously going to be looking for you know a third-round pick, fourth-round pick just to follow in, in Ian Book's steps. Um, next up, we got Drew Pine. Uh, Pine's up against it, man. I mean, he you got to expect that this kid's going to be throwing uh, everything he has, the entire kitchen sink, to really cement himself this year because obviously Buckner is right on his, on his behind here. And then you have red shirt freshman, Brendan Clark behind him. And then, you know, Ron Paulus, who's kind of just you know, a, a depth add on guy. But um, I mean, Pine is going to be giving everything he possibly can to prove himself and, and make sure he belongs trying to steal the spot from Buckner in the future. Buckner is the second coming of Jesus Christ himself and we'll see him next year, potentially probably. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Cone looking looking really good off the bat and looking like a guy that can be a game manager with an incredible defense uh, on his side, which is going to translate to a lot of wins. Pete, do you think it's controversial we have Cone as the starter, or do you think that's pretty much a given now? No, it's it's correct. Uh, it's not controversial at all. Drew Pine is five foot eleven. Not that other five foot eleven quarterbacks didn't do well in Notre Dame, but Jack Cohn is six foot five. He'll be the second tallest Notre Dame quarterback uh, behind a tight end who beat uh, Drew Brees uh, back in the early 2000s. But height means a lot. Game ability means a lot. Drew Pine, unfortunately, has only gotten garbage time against Alabama and some other assorted teams like that. And Jack Cohn's an overall better quarterback. Uh, unless Drew Pine does something this summer to become the second iteration of Tom Brady. He's not starting. Yeah, I, I think that's the case. Um, I think the real issue or the real dilemma is between two to four. Pine, Buckner, Clark is how I, I've listed them. Um, Clark is coming off a very nasty injury. He'll probably be ready for the season. But look, he's a specialist quarterback. There's more talent. Maybe he would actually play before Buckner. But I just think at the end of the day, he's probably our fourth quarterback at the moment. Um, not that I don't have faith in him. It's just the injury, the talent coming in, the future. I, I got him four. I have Buckner three and Pine two. I think that is, I have a suspicion, and maybe I'm wrong here, that that's kind of, Pine as the backup might be just for show. And I think if Jack Cohn is to suffer a serious injury in the first game of the season, I'm not unconvinced that Tyler Buckner would come in and start. I think Tyler Buckner could make that leap and they would just roll with him. Maybe I'm wrong there. I think you'll see Pine in, in mop-up duty, but look, Buckner's the future here. Um, and I feel pretty comfortable with this quarterback group. Um, lots of talent. Uh, and like you said, Steve, you know, the combination of the defense with what Jack can bring, uh, I think we're in for a big season. This, this Notre Dame is going to regress is a pretty, I think, off um, perspective. And I think the quarterback is one of the reasons why. So yeah. move, moving on, we'll try to get through this just a little bit quicker here. So we got running back. No surprises, really. Kyron Williams is going to start. Chris Tyree is going to pick up uh, more snaps uh, as the second. Sebo Flemster, who is easily the third best running back in the country, meaning like the third depth chart running back in the country. Like no team right now has a better third Number backup three, yeah. than Sebo Flemster. 
sorry I confused everyone. Uh, <laughs> then four and five, two freshmen. Didn't really matter which way you listed them. I went with Audric Estime, New Jersey uh, Offensive Player of the Year from high school. And then Logan Diggs, uh, who's a fantastic talent from Louisiana. Um, you know, Steve, I know you've been following kind of recruitment of all these guys pretty closely. I remember when Chris Tyree committed, you basically just Can't. spasmed. So uh, what what's your kind of short evaluation of this running back class? Uh, Kyron legitimately might be the first running back off the board in the next draft. Um, there's been talk of that. I think at the very least, he, he's probably a second to third round pick. I, and that's not because he's not good enough to be in the first round. I just think it's an under or more, more so a devalued position in the NFL. Um, Chris Tyree, lightning, uh, Sebo, he thunder, you know, that's, that's our lightning thunder combo. I love Sebo. And, and I think that's a great analysis. You know, I don't think you go down to the third guy in the depth chart and, uh, across the nation and find a guy with his type of talent. Audrey Gestime is an absolute bowling ball. He kind of reminds me of Jonas gray. Uh, and then Logan Diggs reminds me of a Theo Riddick. He's a guy that can go out into the slot, make some catches, uh, but he's also shifty and can be inside as well. So I think we have great balance and incredible depth, and, and we're really set up to run the ball a lot this year. Don't say that. Let's say run the ball a lot on uh, run, run the ball efficiently this year. There we go. Okay. Uh, I hope Audric Estime wears whatever number Jerome Bettis wore at Notre Dame, which I believe is number six, because that boy is big. I love him. I can't wait to see him. Uh, we'll probably see him more in the following year because I imagine Kyron goes to the draft and Sebo leaves uh, to the draft or graduates or whatever. So Tyree estimate digs plus our current class will be next year. And I think that's pretty sharp too. So we'll do wide receiver here as a group, but I'll just list them. Notre Dame plays an offense where there is a field wide receiver, meaning the open field, uh, a boundary receiver, meaning closer to the side of the football uh, and then a slot receiver. Um, a lot of people are criticizing this position, but at the top, I'm going to be honest with you guys, I really like this group. Um, I have Braden Lindsay as your starting field receiver with Xavier Watts backing him up. I think if there's anywhere where I'm wrong on this depth chart, it is there because Lorenzo Styles is third field receiver on my depth chart. I think that could flip. I think Lorenzo Styles might be the backup field receiver come September. And then Jaden Thomas, who just got to Notre Dame recently, I believe, um, just a couple weeks ago, uh, you know, just uh, the last guy on the field wide receiver position. You look at boundary, this is more of your, your big bodied guy. So Kevin Austin, if he's healthy, I think is going to have a breakout season. I know we've been saying that for a while. Um, backing him up looks like Joe Wilkins, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if the third string guy here, Dion Colsey, takes his spot. I think Dion's going to be fantastic. This is a big time Georgia recruit. Um, this receiving he, group he we could have been a bulldog. In. Could have been a bulldog. Styles could have been an Ohio State Buckeye because his father was, I believe. So this is a good class coming in, and we have good seniors who just haven't had the health to prove it. And in the slot, I really like our slot receivers. Avery Davis has had a fantastic spring. And the next best spring performer on the offense, in my opinion, was Lorenzo Keys. Or sorry, Lawrence Keys. Um I like both guys in the slot, and I think Davis starts, but I'm comfortable with either of them. So how overall, how do you feel about this group? PL, I'll go with you here. Uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's a group of wide receivers. Hopefully, they can catch the ball. I don't really have much to say about them. Um, I think with everything that you see here, you have a lot of the the older talent with Davis, Davis and Austin. Uh, Lindsey 
he's played, but he hasn't made an impact yet. So he better uh, earn that zero number or they can burn that jersey. Um, and then, you know, the younger guys, you have three freshmen and a sophomore who arguably haven't gotten a lot of playing time. Uh, so it may not be this year. I hope it is. If it's not this year, you're going to see a lot of development with them, with TB12 uh, down the line. Because of the lack of depth, they're all going to have to play sometime this season. Uh, I think using the four game rules to redshirt will help a lot as well. It doesn't. It's not like the Little League World Series. They don't have a pitch limit for these players. So arguably, they could play four full games this season and still redshirt. Uh, so I think it's definitely good to have the players that we have and the ages that we do because then you'll see in 2022, 2023, the eventual uh, new recruits in with these guys being the, the older guys, and hopefully none of them transfer. Uh, sorry, Steve, you have followed recruiting very closely um, forever. You know these guys coming in. Which freshman do you think is most likely to get playing time, and do you think it's likely they will get playing time? Uh, yeah, um, I'm going to immediately go with Dion Colsey. Um, and I think that's just be- so Joe Wilkins. I honestly think he's the most underrated guy on the depth chart. Uh, truthfully, yep. I, I think he, he, he has it in him to, to really break out and he's, he's, he's right there, man. And I really want to see him because even if we get into four wide receiver sets, there's no reason he shouldn't be on the field. You know, a four wide receiver set set should be, you know, Lindsey Austin Wilkins and, uh, and Davis and or keys, you know, just kind of, you know, flipping those guys. But so those are your five kind of key guys that should be contributing. Um, but you know, if anything happens to Austin, who unfortunately has been injury prone, uh, Braden Lindsay has been injury prone, Joe Wilkins, massively talented, but has not proven too, too much. I think he has it in him though. You know, that does open the door potentially to Dion Colsey stepping in and, and being that dude. I think he's like six, four two something. So like he, he reminds me of like a Michael Floyd. Uh, it might take him a while to get, you know, in, uh, you know, let knock on wood, let's say Austin and Wilkins stay healthy all year and, and both of them produce great. Perfect. Gives Colsey some time to, uh, to re- really just develop and, and focus on his game. Uh, but if, if he has to be forced in for any reason, which is a distinct possibility, he is a dude. Uh, and Jaden Thomas, although we have him as the field guy, can also be in the slot. And I think that's also where he may get some time. Uh, JT is he they said that he's basically instead of a 50 50 guy, he's an 80 20 guy. You throw the ball up. JT's coming down with it. Um Kind of like, you know, Chase Claypool, which was like, you get the ball up to Claypool, you know, he's coming down with it. So uh, JT would love to see, you know, some more routes. Uh, you know, would like to see him run the full route tree. Uh, would like to see his experience there. Um, obviously very un- inexperienced coming in as a true freshman, but th- the talent is there coming out of the state of Georgia where this guy could be an absolute baller. So I'd, I'd say... Uh, although Zoe Styles is is incredibly talented, I think Colsey or JT are your two candidates to potentially get on the field this year. It's interesting. I would have said Styles because he could also play slot like Thomas, mm-hmm. and he did get a start in Sprig, and he's he he's actually been at Notre Dame. Um, he enrolled early, so I I kind of would lead Styles there, but I like that we could we both see it where they could all play and that's that's healthy right you want to get some game time in there so let's moving over to tight end 
just imagine what this would look like with Tommy Tremble. But unfortunately, <laughs> he, he declared to the draft, and he's going to be a fantastic NFL player. We got Michael Mayer, obviously, one of the most supreme talents we've seen play the tight end position at Notre Dame, and he's only in his second year. Uh, then I've got George Takis, Kevin Ballman, and then the two freshmen, Kane Barong and Mitchell Evans. Um, to me, uh, this is a deep group, but to me, this is a one tight end matters kind of group. As, as good as those other guys are, Michael Mayer should be playing pretty much every snap. Yeah, uh, that is a good take. Um, really, with this group, you could see, and it won't happen, but Tommy could run a five wide receiver set uh, with tight ends. Uh, so, Patrice, <laughs> if you listen to this, which I know you do, uh, run a five wide receiver set with tight ends. Make it a matchup nightmare. Uh, it's, it's it's not unexpected that Notre Dame gets these type of tight ends. And you could see some of them, kind of like what Tommy Tremble did, depending on how their fall develops and their agility, uh, they could play that H-back, F-back position and be a blocking tight end out of the backfield. Yeah, that's what I liked with Tommy Tremble um, was when he played that position. So let's move on to the most controversial group well, of the bunch. I just or do you have something to say? Yeah, just a really quick point. We know we're going to get production in the passing game out of Mayer and, and Takax, Takax, Takas, however, I'll figure it out. Um, he has been on the field and, and has some experience. What I am most looking for, I'm not, I don't care about the passing game. I know we're going to get good production. I'm very concerned about the, if we're in a 22 set, if we have if two tight ends out there, what is the, the running game going to look like? What's the, what's the blocking going to look like from these guys? Is it going to equate to a guy like Tommy Tremble, like last year, who was an absolute monster, even Brock right in his own right. Uh, he, he was incredible at, at, at blocking as well. That's where I think they're going to add the most value, and that's the most kind of up-in-the-air thing right now. So just keep an eye on that. And, and I'll you know, now we can go, go on to the offensive line. Yeah, so the most puzzling one, at least, has been the offensive line because you didn't know where anyone's going to play. But the addition of Kane Madden, I think, has made things a lot simpler. And my gut feeling has been kind of confirmed by a lot of people's gut feeling. So I'll run through our offensive line. Um, as a unit, and then I'll go through the depth chart. So I have starting at left tackle for what might be the first time in so, so long, a true freshman, Blake Fisher, who in our two deep depth charts earlier this winter, we had off of it, and uh, I don't I think he took exception to that. So right now, Blake Fisher is the starting left tackle at Notre Dame. We move over to left guard, and then it is going to be Jarrett Patterson. I think they're going to kick him over for center because I think the center and the guy who was recruited as a center, Zeke Carell, uh, we saw a little bit of him last year. I think he's going to be starting. Right guard, you have second-team All-American Kane Madden. And then on the right tackle spot, Josh Lug. Looks like they're not going to move him in, but they will keep him out. So just going through the left tackle position now, we've got Blake Fisher, number one, Tosh Baker, number two. That seems to be the camp battle. And then a guy I think everybody loves, Joe Alt from Minnesota, a freshman coming in. He's going to get to learn um, as a deputy third left tackle um p you're you're my offensive line guy you're my blake fisher guy as well we're all blake fisher guys but y you know blake fisher is your guy what do you feel about this group so looking at it just not on the depth chart but on the the offensive tab you see a lot and i know that sounds stupid to say but Blake Fisher and Joe Alt both being freshmen, that's huge. 
if we need to, a couple years down the line, Joe Alt moves to right tackle, Blake Fisher stays at left. You have a Mike, a Mike McGlinchey on both sides there. Uh, so I really like, I'm very high on Blake Fisher just because he's a monster. He's agile. He recently ran like 12 miles an hour on a treadmill, which is insane. Uh, he's just an athlete, and he mauls people. And I think him, Spindler, Alt, you put them all together there, it's going to be a savage offensive line for the next few years. So uh, very high on him. Right, so let's let's move over to left guard, and I'll, I'll bring Steven in a moment. So we got Jarrett Patterson, our most experienced offensive lineman, one of the best, I think, in college football. Um, I think it's very helpful to have him next to Fisher, and I think that's why they're going to put Patterson at guard and not at tackle is because he's going to be in between two newcomers in Correll and Fisher, so he can kind of help out on both sides of them. But I think you got Jarrett Patterson starting. One of my favorite guys in this whole roster, Rocco Spindler, I have as the backup left guard right now. Usually we go seniority, but I think, you know, no disrespect to Quinn Carroll, but I, I think Spindler is just such a talent that he's going to leapfrog him on the step chart. Quinn Carroll third, and then uh, another freshman incomer, Pat Coogan, um, is going to learn the ropes too. So that's my left guard group. Steve, what do you think there? Is that pretty solid? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Quinn Carroll, uh, Rocco Spindler, kind of one-two, um, you know, and, and for a true freshman to come in and, and kind of push the limits, even in Blake Fisher on the left side, um, it, it's impressive that we're able to replace and reload so quickly. Uh, at the left tackle position, I personally think that Tosh Baker will probably take it, you know, being a redshirt freshman, six foot eight, 300 pounds, he is a mover of men. Uh, but I mean, if Blake Fisher has to play, he's obviously well equipped and he's a monster as well. Uh, but the entire left side, although unproven, um, you know, it, it's still going to be ma- massive, massive. I mean, they, these guys are huge and it's, they are going to, there's going to be a lot of meat to move out there. And I don't, I don't see any defensive lines dominating them i see some some defensive lines if they're really quick giving them trouble just because they like p as you've mentioned adapting to the speed of the game but when it comes to overpowering these guys i don't see it happening at all it's a good take so looking at center there's not much to really discuss here zeke carell's the starter if he's hurt Jarrett patterson is the backup meaning either spindler carroll or Kristovic will move to left guard um, but that's the way i see it um pretty pretty straightforward there um i like i like that side and on the right side this is where kane Mad- madden helps so much so you just plug him in here your right side is you've got a right side quality of Jarrett patterson right you got two I don't want to say two Jarrett Pattersons, but essentially you got two very veteran, talented guys in your guard positions to help out. Um, so I like Kane Madden here. I think he's going to win. I don't think he would have come here if he wasn't going to win uh, the spot. I got Andrew Christofik as the backup, John Dirksen as the third right guard, and Hunter Spears as the fourth. Um, I don't know if there's too much to talk about, so I'll just move ahead to right tackle, and we'll get your thoughts there. Josh Lug will be the starter. I've got Michael Caramody as the backup, and then I have another true freshman, uh, Caleb Johnson, I believe a foot from Auburn, as the third right tackle. So, P, looking at that right side of the offensive line, how do you how do you feel both starting and in terms of depth? I'm going to throw you for a loop here. I don't like the right side of the line. I think if we really had to, you throw Blake Fisher at left tackle. He's not a right tackle. 
and then Mr. Six Foot Eight, Tosh Baker, move him to the right side of the line. Then you would have Fisher, Patterson, Carell, Madden, and Baker uh, starting there. Lodge is capable. Baker is capable. I think the right tackle spot is the biggest toss-up of the entire offense right now. Um, and then you could, even if you really wanted to, if you wanted to get Spindler in there, move Patterson out. Uh, yeah. There are talks about moving Patterson outside if Spindler has a camp uh, and a half. So I don't love starting two freshmen on the left side of the line, but they're dudes all over the place. But right tackle is by far the weakest uh, part of the group, in my opinion. Yeah, I think what you get with this group this whole five-man-plus unit, you have a lot of flexibility. That's the one thing, is Jarrett Patterson can play all five positions. So if you're feeling weak on the left guard spot, he starts there. If you feel like you need help at right tackle, you can move him over there, um, which I like. I like that flexibility. I do not see Kane Madden hurting anybody's development here. I think Christopher and Quinn Carroll are third-year starters now, or third-year players now. Um, they can compete and win. They can compete for a backup spot, and they will always have next year as well. I like our offensive line group. There are question marks, less so than a couple weeks ago. Um, but, you know, if Blake Fisher comes in, does his thing, I feel pretty good about it um, as a whole. Steve, do you, do you have any kind of thoughts on the offense as a whole before we move on to the defense here? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm mirroring exactly what you guys mentioned. Left side is going to be unproven, but they are so ridiculously talented. I think they're they're just not going to be easy to, to beat. Uh, right side, thank God for Madden uh, adding his experience. But Lug, uh, I mean, Lug's a dude. You know, Lug, Lug is he, he he's going to be moving bodies out there. It's just can he do so for a full 60 minutes? And, and he's, is he going to step up in the biggest moments? Um, I think he definitely has it in him. I think any guy that is signing with Notre Dame right now, you have to be a baller. So I'm confident in them, but I could definitely see the right tackle position being, if we do have a concern, being the concern. Yeah, it's, it's definitely the offensive line group is the most question marked on offense and maybe in the whole team. But we're going to learn a lot, I think, um, over the summer and, and into the, uh, the the season. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Let's move over to defense now. We'll, we'll talk defensive end. Um, I'll start with the Viper position. For those of you who don't know, the Viper position is the one who <sighs> rushes and then drops back into passage about 15% of the time. So this is usually your um, Dalen Hayes, your Julian Okora, um, this type, this prototype of, of, def- of defender. And that's what Marcus Freeman said he's going to keep. So we'll, be a, we'll, we'll see a lot of linemen, but... On this side, I got Isaiah Foskey starting. I don't think there should be any controversy there. He is just a animal, and he's only in his third year, I think. Correct. Um, true, true junior. True junior. He's yeah. going to be something. He reminds me of Stefan Tuit when Stefan Tuit was breaking through at a, at a young age. Um, back behind him, I have one of the most impressed players of the spring game, Jordan Botello. Uh, really like what that what that young man brings. Uh, behind him, I've got Osita Ikwonu. And then behind him, I have true freshman Will Schweitzer. That's the Viper position. And then on the other defensive end position in a four-man front, the strong end, which is usually more of your run defender, big type. So you're thinking there more about Addy or uh, Khalid Kareem. So the basically the confirmed position for Myron Tagovailoa Amosa is this defensive end, strong 
Um, he's going to start there. He looked really good in the spring game. Uh, behind him, Justin Admido- Admiola. Man, I, I, he's only been here for four years. Um, I like I like him as well. Then you got Steve's favorite player in the world, Nana Osafo Mensa. Behind oh, him, Nana. behind him, Alex Aronsenberger. And then last on the depth chart, just for now, because he he's another true freshman, Jason Onye. Hendrickson's finest, Rhode Island stand up. Such there you go, Northeast representation. At the end of the day, you have two guys starting the defensive end position, and I feel like we have five starting capable players. Am I crazy, or do you see that on the depth chart? No, and what you see here is the ability for Freeman to keep him fresh. Uh, with Freeman's defense, he just judging based off of this, he'll rotate people in. Uh, he may have Jordan Bethello on third downs, which is a pass rushing, pass rushing situation, uh, and he's much better at that than stopping the run. Uh, there's, you know, Jason Onye, I've seen him play in person. He's a fucking monster. Uh, if he gets bigger, he could even move to defensive tackle and just be uh, havoc at three tech there. Um, Alex Ertzen, Ertzen, the German, uh, he's six foot eight, and he's a he's tall and lanky and fast and good. So Freeman has free reign to play all these guys, and I wouldn't be surprised if you see every single one of these nine players play. Yeah, there's so much depth, so much quality. I mean, Foskey, Votello could both start. I, I'd feel comfortable. And then uh, Myron, Justin, Nana, I feel like they're all starting capable players as well. I count five starters to play two spots. And I think that's the, the strength of this team this year is going to be the D-line. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll go to Steve for the D-tackle positions here because some of our favorite players play. So you look at the three-tech, I got Jason Admiola. Admiolola, he's only been here for four years, too. Uh, Riley Mills, who was just destruction in the spring game and whenever we've seen him in the season last year. And then I think my favorite player in the entire incoming class, Gabriel Rubio. If this was a normal position, Gabriel Rubio might be starting, but there is so much talent at defensive tackle that just by default, he's probably the third guy here, but he's going to get game time, uh, maybe less meaningful snaps, but he's going to be a monster. Then you look at the nose guard, or I think of it more as a one tech, but Notre Dame lists it as no guard, nose guard. Kurt Heinisch, perennial, you know, he's going to be the new Sean Crawford. He'll be here for 15 years. Hmm. Um, love him. Backing him up, Jacob Lacey, I think is an easy starter as well. Howard Cross, who I also think could be a starter, is the third nose guard. And then a uh, new player, Aiden Kianaina. Say, uh, Say it. No, one more time. I want to hear it. Aiden Kianaina. <laughs> Kianaina. I'm sorry, guys. I'm Canadian. I, I, I'm not used to seeing names that aren't like Hawaiians have ones. never. Ha- Hawaiians have never invaded Canada. Not, not yet. Um, not yet. So that's that's our D tech our D tackle group. Steve, I have been talking for too long here. What do you feel about about the three tech and nose guard? 
yeah, I mean, I, I think you're you have five, potentially six guys that are going to be able to step up. Howard Cross is a bowling ball whenever we've seen him on the field. And, and most of it's been garbage time, obviously, because he's a, a younger developing player. But I mean, he literally will just plug anything that he's in. Um, you know, Riley Mills, he is a lot more athletic than most guys his size. I feel like he moves pretty well, and, and that's why we have uh, we saw him last year in, in some limited capacity, and I think he, especially with, uh, with Jay Adamiola uh, ahead of him, um, you know, I, I think those two can kind of honestly do maybe 60-40 in terms of splitting time and, and be quite fine doing so. Kurt Heinisch, take out your shovel and pail and just go, go and work. You know, that guy, he's, uh, as you've mentioned before, P, he's, he's just a union worker. Uh, that guy will just show up and give you a solid, uh, you know, 10 years in the NFL, uh, kind of like a Brett Kiesel type, just, you know, he's never going to be the superstar, but you know, exactly what you're getting. Just, you know, sh- strong and, and consistent Jacob Lacey, love the guy. Uh, I mean, I think you, you look across this defensive line, you have legitimately seven players, uh, that are game breaking, uh, talents and uh, exactly correct. I mean, our trenches are just, uh, the, the envy of a lot of teams out there. Yeah, that's well said. Um, also, and pro- I, I did want to mention Jason Anya. Thank you very much for signing with the Notre Dame fighting Irish. I love you very, very much. Fuck Bishop, Bishop Hendrickson. Go Rams. Yep. <laughs> um, just okay. rely on Finn's day. As good as a D line. He went is. to my my bitter, bitter, bitter rivals in high school. Like as much as we hate Michigan, my school hated his school. Steve, you ever hit up LaSalle Bakery? Of course I I used to go to LaSalle Bakery every day before school. It's delicious. It's incredible. If you're ever in Providence, LaSalle Bakery is the spot to go. Okay, next, linebacking core. Yeah, so I think as good as the D-line group is, the linebacker group is as good because we have so much returning talent here. So I think the unit and then I'll go through the positions. I think the starting Mike is Drew White, just like last year. I think the starting Will is Shane Simon, just like next year. And I think he could blow up like a superstar. And I believe the heir to the Joker's position will be Jack Kaiser. So let's getting into it a little more deeper here. Uh, Mike Linebacker, I've got Drew White, then Bo Bauer, then J.D. Bertrand, and then incoming freshman Kahanu Kia. Um, P. Linebacker Mike, that seems like a U type position. What what do you what do you feel in there? Yeah, I was just looking at it. Uh, I like what you said there, but I also think that you can get Drew White. Actually, I, I have more about the will, but um, Drew White, Bo Bauer being on the field at the same time, they're two of the same humans uh, in that regard. Uh, I do like JD Bertrand as well. I don't know enough about the new freshman coming in to uh, to make a comment on that. But if we were to go to the will position, just to parlay that, we have Shane Simon, Maris Leofau, Jack Kaiser, and Devin Ayu, AUP? OPU? APU? Ayapu. Whatever. Uh, I could see Shane Simon and Maris Leofau having a battle in camp and Maris Leofau taking the spot. He might be a better third down uh, back or even a, a first, second down linebacker. Uh, it's really dependent on what pass coverage is going to look like there, but I see potential for it to almost be. I'm going to flip this a little bit. Drew White at the mic, the Mares Leaf out at will, and with the Rover, you can almost move Jack Kaiser around and either have him as a Rover 
or have Bo Bauer there with Jack Kaiser as a second rover and run a 3-4 defense. There's a lot that and we don't know what um, Freeman's going to do. There's a lot that we can speculate on, but there's so much talent in all these groups. And for the rover, Jack Kaiser, Isaiah Pryor, Paul Malaya, and Prince Collie, which is an underrated great name. Uh, there's just so much talent in that group of 12. They need to get as much talent on the field as possible, whether it's running a 3-4, a 3-5-3, whatever you want there. We need those people on the field uh, to yeah. make plays. So that, and it's hard to say because we don't know what Freeman uh, is thinking of right now. This defense might be better this year, which is crazy. Like, yeah. I, I feel like the D-line is better, and I feel like that's unquestionably true. I feel like there's more depth at linebacker than last year. I mean, obviously, JOK is the GOAT, but as a whole and as a unit, I kind of like the linebacker group more this year because you got returning developed talent in Simon and White and Leafau and Kaiser and, uh, and, and Bauer. Um, so let's move over to corner. We're getting towards the end here. Um, field corner, like field receiver, it looks like it's going to be Clarence Lewis. He's kind of the only dependable guy who played last year that you would expect to play this year. Um, behind him, I have Tariq Bracey. We'll talk a little bit more about Bracey in a second. Behind Bracey, I have Philip Riley. He had a pretty good spring game for what I saw from him. I really like Riley. Uh, Caleb offered after Riley. And then lastly, he just got to campus, JoJo Johnson, and I'll talk more about him in a moment. Um, and now let's go to boundary, because this would have been where a Caleb Evans would have played, and I think that would have been a fantastic addition. But regardless, I think one of the biggest risers in spring camp has been Cam Hart. The uh, He was a wide receiver turned corner, and he has developed to the point where now he is the coaching staff feels comfortable with him at corner. So Cam Hart is a big-bodied guy. He's going to start the boundary opposite to Lewis. Behind him is Ramon Henderson, who had a very good spring game as well. And then your two freshmen coming in, Ryan Barnes and Chance Tucker. I I like the talent there. Those freshmen could get, they could take some jobs, but I, I'm okay with Cam Hart um, and Ramon Henderson. So as, as those two positions look, um, Steve, I'll start with you because um, I feel like you haven't spoken in a while. Um, how do you like our two corners? Usually for the best when I don't speak because every time I open my mouth, I make a fool of myself. <laughs> um, now, Clarence Lewis, uh, easily the, the most uh, experienced guy out there at the corner position, which uh, truthfully is kind of a terrifying sentence to say, but that's fine. Uh, we will we'll, we'll buzz right through it. You know, we, we have the front seven to, to support these guys. Uh, Tariq Bracey, I think you know, he, got a, he got a bad rap, and I think he got a – the matchups that he's had the, the, you know, the, the, when the bright, when the lights were shining the brightest, I mean, he was dealing with ridiculous matchups and I don't think it, in, in a shortened year where he was still, what was he? A, a redshirted freshman. He was a, still yeah. a young guy. I don't think he was really set up for success. So I want to see uh, Tariq Bracey, you know, get more of a, uh, some more love and not get the Dante Vaughn treatment. I hate that son of a bitch. Um, but anyway, uh, R- Ramon Henderson is is going to be pushed to the limits by Bo Barnes. Bo Barnes is like uh, truly the next lockdown corner. I, I think of Bo Barnes, um, our our third uh, down the depth chart on the boundary side. He's our next Julian Love. So keep on a lookout for him. He, he's going to be a baller and, and he's going to push those guys ahead of him. Cam Hart, he was uh, 
a wide receiver cornerback kind of athlete that could go either way. And uh, he's big bodied. I think he's like six, two, six, three, which tends to be kind of the, the new prototype that we look for in a corner. And uh, with that sort of length and, and with, opposing quarterbacks not having much time at all. You got to look for him to really stick out and and have an opportunity to make a name for himself. So, uh, I mean, top to bottom, is this our most, our, our strongest position? Clearly not. It's clearly not our most experienced position. It's, it's definitely still one of the biggest question marks we've had, which is kind of reminiscent of, of last year, but at the very least I can, I can sufficiently say or confidently say we definitely took a step forward. Yeah, there's developed talent here for sure. P, you were you were shaking your head, so uh, give me your yeah, thoughts here. Two things: I don't like having a corner named Chance. Uh, it has to change his name. <laughs> Fair. Just straight up, like change your name, buddy. And Steve, did you just give Ryan Barnes a nickname? His name is his nickname is Bo Barnes. So oh, his, okay. his his Ryan Barnes, but he goes by Bo. Okay, I just want, I wanted to make sure of that. So, no, it's more so just the name there. Uh, the corners are the corners. Uh, having a more experienced corner in there would have helped. Uh, I'm going to throw something crazy out there. And, again, we don't know what Freeman's going to do. Uh, we do have a backup to Kyle Hamilton, Litchfield Ajavon, uh, who fought Joe Lewis uh, when he was 102 years old. Uh, <laughs> it wouldn't be crazy to see Ajavon – KJ Wallace or Kerry Gee move from safety to corner if they really need it. Almost like the reverse love in theory. Julian Love moved from corner to safety, correct? No. No, Julian Love was a corner. It would be the reverse um, Sean Crawford. Sean Crawford. Uh, yeah. Same, same humor. So, no. Nope. You know, nope. <laughs> I'm holding you accountable there. Julian it's very late right now on the East Coast here. But no, you could see a safety move to corner if needed. I'm not in love. I'm not married to any of these boundary corners, but Cam Hart's Cam Hart. Uh, we'll see what, ha- or what Freeman. And also, Kyle Hamilton have to say uh, about what's going on here. Yeah, I forgot to account for Kyle Hamilton's new role on the offense when I was putting this together. Um, Play Kyle was, Hamilton on offense, Tommy. Before we go to safety, um, if you'll see on the depth chart, and those of you looking at Twitter following along, you'll see that there's an arrow um, in between corner and safety to highlight the slot spot because uh, Marcus Freeman plays with the slot corner. Sometimes that will be the rover, sometimes that will be a third cornerback. And from what I saw in the spring game and what I can gather using, you know, like um, inferring from information, I don't know, inference, deduction, there we go. Um, I think Tariq Bracey will be the slot corner. And I think we will see a lot of Tariq Bracey this year just because he's the backup to Lewis on the field. Doesn't mean he won't be playing. And I think you're spot on, Steve. I think Bracey got a little too much heat. He was not put in the best position. Um, confidence was an issue. I think coming into his uh, third season now, third or fourth yes. season now, um, he, he's going to have a lot of starting time in his in his career under his belt. And I think Marcus Freeman and Coach Mickens will uh, will put him in a, a position to succeed, which will be the corner uh, slots position. I have behind him KJ Wallace and JoJo Johnson. I think JoJo Johnson is the the slot corner of the future. Um, so that's the way that group looks. And finishing off the defense at safety. I believe without question that our pair out there will be Hamilton and Griffith. Um, But to break that down a little bit more, I've got Kyle Hamilton backed up and it could be by either man here. I've got Litchfield Ajavon because he murdered 
two receivers in the spring game, and I kind of like that. And KJ Wallace is the third guy, could easily be the second guy. And then late comer in our in our class of 2021, Kerry Gee is going to be a menace. But for now, I just have him as the fourth free safety. And then moving over to the strong safety position, Houston, Houston Griffith starting, DJ Brown backing him up, and then freshman Justin Walters being the third. Steve, Kyle Hamilton's your baby boy. We all love Litchfield, Ajavon. You know your incoming recruits. How do you evaluate the safety position for 2021? I'm not even being hyperbolic or exaggerating. I would actually kill a human being if it meant protecting Kyle Hamilton. So that's let's let's make that wife just heard that she was not thrilled. I'm dead serious. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's a visible in court, by the way. So. Oh, I don't care. I'll <laughs> don't care. Um, Houston Griffith. Um, he is the defensive version of Kevin Austin. These are two guys that are so ridiculously highly rated and touted coming out of high school. You look at them play the game when they're healthy and you're like, holy crap. Why, what is prevent, pre- preventing these guys from being all Americans? I mean, the talent, the size, the speed, the smarts. Houston Griffith, He, if he is even a quarter of what I think he can be and what everyone is projecting him to be uh, you're pretty much locking down the center of the field between the the defensive line getting up on the the offensive line forcing pressure between the all of our riches at linebackers shutting down the middle of the field and shutting down you know the quick routes you can't go over the top because Kyle Hamilton will pick everything off and and hopefully Houston is is there as well so really the only weakness is going to be on the boundaries which as we discussed hopefully is going to be better so like it it looks like it's all going to pull together DJ Brown uh, also very very talented I could see him switching down to the slot receiver I'm sorry slot uh, corner as well if need be but he he tends to be a little bit more of a play on your heels like safety type uh but i mean there's definitely talent there it's unproven with the exception of kyle love lich i think lich definitely has a a great future here he's going to be the starter next year because obviously kyle hamilton's going to be a top five overall pick like actually like legitimately so um yeah i it, there's, I'm so excited simultaneously while also being terrified because there's, there's a lot of unknown, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of promise. And if we get uh, half of what these guys can project to be at the top level, it's going to be an issue. It's going to be a genuine issue. I don't see a Devonta Smith when we inevitably make the playoffs again this year because we are. I don't see someone dominating us or really stealing a game and, and just eating up the secondary for seven and 185. It's not going to happen. Uh, if, if those two guys at, on the back end can play the way that they can. Right. Well, I, I just want to jump in and say, I am amazed we've been able to get through this within near an hour, but we're not done because it's P wagon's favorite oh, yes, thing in the world. <laughs> I included special teams <clears throat> step chart, and I will run through it quick and we will let the expert say everything he has to say at kicker. Jonathan Dorr is coming back for his last season. He will be backed up, in my opinion, by Josh Bryan, the six-star incoming freshman. I, I think he's going to be fantastic one day. But that's that's our kicking group. Hunting group, I got Jay Bramblett, and he is so good, I didn't even list a backup. Long snapper, same guy as last year, Michael Vinson. I believe that is one of the um, walk-ons. Uh, 
and the backup to him will be Alex Peach, P-E-I-T-S-C-H, Pitch, I don't know. Holder, Jay Bramblett, probably again, and then uh, kick return, punt return. It, I just listed what they had last year, which is Chris Tyree as the kick returner, Lawrence Keyes backing him up, and then Matt Salerno as the punt returner with Lawrence Keyes backing him up. That's all kind of speculation and based on whatever happened last year. But with that said, take the floor, P. All right. So kicking, we do assume Dor is going to have that spot. But backing him up, I'm really high on my close personal friend and Twitter follower, Harrison Leonard, the kicker from Jamestown, the the clam-shucking, ball-kicking rocket of a man. He's only a sophomore, so... Uh, you could see him really make some noise here. Uh, but then you also do have Josh Bryan, number one kicker nationally by Chris Saylor kicking, uh, number six nationally, and 147 regionally. What region is he from? California. And he's also the number 90th player in California. He is a dude. So, yes, Harrison Leonard, Josh Bryan, we're going to have a kicking competition next year. And with uh, Jay Bramblett, family is a fan of the program. Um, not really sure mut- what else I can say about Jay that hasn't already been said before. Uh, I just want everyone to be reminded that we did go into the backyard of Nick Saban, and we stole this punter right out from under his nose. One of the arguably best punters, uh, probably the best punter uh, since Hunter the punter back in the, the <laughs> late or uh, early 90s. So there, there's our kicking game right there. Jay Bramblett also can hold. And if Jay Bramblett scores a touchdown this year, uh, you're going to find me in an early grave. Uh, I'll just, my heart will stop. Uh, he did play quarterback in high school. I was going to well. say former quarterback. Yep. Former quarterback. Uh, so yeah, that, that's really where we're at there. I am really high on not so much Chris Tyree and Lawrence Keyes for returning kits, but Matt Salerno. Uh, Matt Salerno is a had a brother on the team uh, by the name of Chris, and with him, he has that love for Notre Dame that you don't see too often with other uh, players. He's six foot, surprisingly, and almost 200 pounds. Uh, he's also from California, so Valencia, California has been really good for us uh, in terms of people. Uh, he had one return for seven yards against South Florida, uh, and then really... He doesn't run the ball much, but I think this is the year he returns one. Uh, we haven't had a punt return in a while, uh, but he did. He has this like air about him that I definitely think he could be a valuable asset to the team. And if we're getting uh, teams to punt against us, they don't have the number one punter in the nation. Uh, we do. So with that, we, we should see a return. I wouldn't hate seeing Lawrence T's uh, return punts as well, uh, just because fast guys are usually better at returning punts than... Uh, not fast guys. Well, thank you for that, Coach Special Teams. Um, the I think Bramble we wrap- family, uh, add us on Twitter. Tell us you listen to this. We love Jay. All right, I think we could wrap this up now. Um, just overall, as just this has been completed, how do you feel about this roster going into summer and fall of 2021? I'm cleaning out my closet for national championship gear. Steve, how do you feel about this team as a whole right now? Playoff bound. It looks good. It looks good. I I look at this depth chart. I feel comfortable at quarterback, running back. I like our receiver group. I like our tight end group. I think our offensive line group is more than capable. I think we have the best D line in the country. I think we have 
arguably the best linebackers in the country. Secondary is scary, but there is potential there. Someone can grab a spot. We don't know who. And then special teams is special teams, man. They matter too, and we have some good talent. So at the end of the day, I think this team is as good as last year. Um, a lot of that will be dependent, though, on Jack Cohn. So let's give him our best. And um, I think that's kind of it for me. Do you guys have anything you want to talk about before we sign off? Uh, yeah, shout out Notre Dame baseball lost in the super regional to Mississippi State. Uh, that was our poll question. So there you go. Uh, and also, don't tweet at recruits. Don't tweet with recruits in the picture and then tag them in the picture. You're you're the part of the problem. Let the kids make their own decisions. I say this every week. You two listen to me. Other people don't. Stop tweeting at high school students to come to your university. You are part of the problem. You are not part of the solution. Coaches know a whole lot more than you. And if they wanted you as part of their recruiting staff, they would have hired you. Thank you. Although you can tweet about recruits, but you can't tweet at a recruit. That's correct. And if if you have any questions about if you should or should not, find me on Twitter at PWagonSitzy. All right. I will say, though, if there are any Notre Dame commits currently – or about to commit, or who will commit, who wants to come on the show, you have a platform here. Reach out to us. We'd love to have you. But we won't tweet at you. That's kind of the dual nature of the Four Horsemen podcast. Um, Steve, you got something to say before we head off? I'm going to be waking up in six hours, give or take, for my tea time. Uh, So let's hope I break 90, and that's everything that I have to say. Uh, We're going to get to obviously a lot more podcasts uh, throughout the summer and um, as we head into the third time in four years uh, with with our podcast basically being the driving force towards a playoff appearance I think there's a direct correlation Uh, if you disagree at me and then I'll block you because you're stupid (laughs) well I couldn't have said it better myself. We're clearly the success behind Notre Dame football. Um, so, guys, we're at 969 Twitter followers, nice. which is exponentially growth from the first season we started. We are, what is it, 31 away from 1,000. So, please follow us on Twitter, reach out, interact with us, share us with your friends, and most importantly, give us a five star rating and a subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out, uh, especially if you're fans of this show, because we do this just for fun, because we're three idiots with too much time on our hands. And and that's really it. I'm looking forward to, you know, if any news breaks, we'll be here. Um, but we'll definitely do, of course, a season preview in August, and then we will definitely be here for September. So from all of us here at the Four Horsemen Podcast, go Irish.